I want to read to all of you a job ad. Here's the job ad. It says, help wanted. Experience, none needed. No education needed. And past history of unemployment, unnecessary. Employee will be expected to serve the needs of the company and conduct him or herself with the utmost integrity. Failure to serve the needs of the company or conduct oneself with integrity may result in disciplinary action, but never the loss of the job. For the most part, you'll love the job. You'll love the job so much that you will find yourself wanting to do the work. Although experience tells us that at times you might struggle. Pay and benefits include long-term housing, life insurance, and a very generous retirement package. Applications will not be considered, but if you're called, all you must do is accept the position. Salvation. No experience necessary. No education needed. No past history of employment needed. In fact, with salvation, your past does not qualify you. The only thing that qualifies you is the call of God. And all you need to do is accept that call to have long-term housing, life insurance, and that's better than the life insurance we all get because it's an eternal life insurance, and a generous retirement package. Now that's a job. Notice failure to do the job doesn't result in you losing the job. You just might have a little bit of a rougher time with it. But once you've accepted the job, you're guaranteed the position. It's kind of a cool setup. But that's the picture of salvation. We're going to be in Joshua 2. And we're going to continue the story of Rahab. So turn in your Bibles to Joshua 2. And let me remind you what we have been talking about. So in Joshua 1, in Joshua 1, we started out with Joshua receiving his marching orders. And he was reminded that God was the one who was leading the charge. That God was the one that was making the decisions. That God was the one that was in control. It ends with this command, be strong and courageous. Joshua, in response to God's command to prepare to enter the land, sent two spies into the land and he gave them a job. The job Joshua gave to the spies was to go in and spy out the land, especially Jericho. Remember, the spies get discovered. That's not a good thing for spies. But they're uncovered, they're discovered, and they hide in the house of Rahab. But we are reminded, especially reminded, of Rahab's past. Rahab is a most unqualified individual. She's described as a prostitute, a sinner. Wrong birth, wrong job, everything about her is wrong. But in Joshua 2, verses 12 through 13, she makes a most profound request. So I'm going to read to you verses 12 through 13, and then we will dig in to the next part of the sermon. So we left off with verses 12 and 13 last week. 
says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. So that was the request. Will you spare us? Will you spare me? This is a faith request because nothing that Rahab had done earned her this privilege. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, the people of Israel were commanded to destroy all of the Canaanites, to drive them out of the land. Rahab was a Canaanite. She makes the most bold request. And that's where we pick up. So what I want to show you, first of all, with Rahab, is that Rahab had faith to make this request, but her faith brought about action. Rahab's faith brought about action. What we're going to see is that time after time after time, faith brings results. Faith brings action. Faith brings boldness. Faith brings evidence of that faith. Rahab's faith brought about action. Let's pick up the story after Rahab's request in Joshua 2, verses 14 through 21. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window. For the house that she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills, so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us, unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Rahab's faith brought about action. You see, I want you to note the first thing that Rahab is required to do. She is required to actually step out and trust. Rahab was required to trust. The spies essentially say, if you are not saved, may God kill us. That would be a more literal translation of our lives for your lives. If we don't do this, may God strike us down. We will protect you. But notice, notice the conditions that the spies put on Rahab. First of all, she's not allowed to tell anybody about them. Have you ever had an exciting, amazing event occur to you 
and you're not allowed to tell anybody? That's hard. That's really hard. She's not allowed to tell anyone about them. The second thing that we see is Rahab actually has to let the spies go. She lowers them down by a rope. Rahab was required to trust. I want you to understand the situation that has occurred. Rahab has put herself on the line. The spies are in her house. She knows that the city is going to be destroyed. In some sense, right now, the spies are her hostages. If Israel marches in, they are going to probably protect Rahab's house because there's spies in there. If Rahab lets the spies go, she gets rid of all her bargaining chips. Do you see that? When those spies climb out the window, Rahab now has nothing to guarantee her safety other than the word of the spies speaking for God. That's trust. That is a complete trust. We learned a little bit about Rahab. She lowered the spies through a window. That tells us something about her house. Her house was apparently part of the city wall. This is a known structure, a known way of building cities or forts in the ancient world, is you would oftentimes have an outer wall that could be 14 to 20 feet tall. Then you'd have a sloped hill up to an inner wall that could be very tall. Rahab's house was somewhere on one of these walls or in the middle, in the sloped hill that was considered part of the wall. She manages to lower the spies out through the window and then look at what the spies ask her to do. First, hang a red cord out your window. Identify yourself. Now, I want you to recognize this is more than an identification of just Rahab to the spies and the Israelites. This would call attention to Rahab's house. If the king is on a rampage hunting down the spies, you don't really want to call attention to your house. Rahab has called attention to her house. Notice the second condition. Stay in your house. Think about how hard this would be when Israel comes in to conquer because they don't know the battle of Jericho yet. So forget that story. Just wipe it out of your mind for just a second here. When Israel comes to conquer, where are they going to attack? The wall. Right? Where is the most dangerous place in the city to be in an attack? Not the middle of the city, the wall. Where has Rahab just been told that she needs to be during the attack? The wall. Rahab was required to take action, required to really take inaction, to stay put. Her action that Rahab was required to take was to stay put. Rahab was required to take action, and that action was staying put. Faith brings action. And in the case of Rahab, faith brought action. She had to trust, 
She had to take action. Let's move on, though, and I want to show you that the spies had to have some faith here. In verses 22 through 24, we're going to see that the spies had to have boldness. The faith of the spies brought about boldness. Let's look at verses 22 through 24. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. The faith of the spies brought boldness. The first way in which the spies had to be bold is in accepting the information that they had. Look back at chapter 2, verse 1. What were the spies asked to do? They were asked to go spy out the land, especially Jericho. Where had the spies been so far? To Jericho. And then Rahab tells them, go hide in the rocks, in the cliffs. Near the city of Jericho, there are cliffs, and in those cliffs there are a lot of caves. And so that's probably where the spies were sent to hide. Go hide in the caves for three days. You know that rest of your mission? You've been in Jericho and you were supposed to go view the rest of the land? Don't do it. Just go hide in the caves. The spies needed boldness to accept that the information they had was sufficient. They accepted that they had all the information that they needed. Remember, their mission was to spy out all of the land. They've only spied out Jericho, but they've accepted that they have everything that they need. There's a fun play on words. We read in verse 22 um, that the pursuers searched all along the road and returned without finding them. The pursuers returned without finding them. Then they returned to Joshua, and they report all that had happened. That's what the NIV translates. Actually, if we were to do a literal translation, they return all that they found. So I want you to catch the play on words that's going on. The spies are not found, but... All that they find, they report. So there's this parallelism. The enemies could not find the spies. The spies found all that they needed to find. They had to accept that God had shown them all that they needed. Faith required them to boldly accept that God had given them just enough information. Have you ever had plans to go on a fact-finding mission or to uncover exactly what you need to know in order to do X? in order to step out in faith in this way. And God says, sure, I'll show you just a little bit. I'm not going to show you everything yet. And you have to step out in faith and trust God that what he has given you is actually enough 
God sometimes doesn't give us the whole picture, just a little bit, and says, still trust me in it. Not only did the spies have to accept the information they had, they actually had to recognize just what they had. Look at how the passage ends. They report to Joshua, the Lord has given, and then notice the word, the city of Jericho into our hands, is not what it says. It says, the Lord has given the whole land into our hands. They spied out the city of Jericho and recognized that God was giving them everything. The spies had to recognize that even though they only had a glimpse of what God was doing, that was sufficient to know God had given them the whole land. So, Rahab's faith required her to take action. The spies' faith required them to be bold. I want to turn, and if you'll join me, in James chapter 2, because James chapter 2 concludes with Rahab. And what I want you to see in James chapter 2 is that our faith should bring evidence. Our faith should always bring about evidence of faith. So we're going to read a little bit here, 14 through 26, and I want you to pay attention to what this says about faith. Starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. This may be one of the most challenging passages in Scripture. Um, certainly, it bothered Martin Luther. It has bothered theologians for centuries, on how to make sense of the role between faith and works. So let's dig into it. And let's keep in mind Rahab and the history that we just went through. What I want you to see, first of all, is that faith produces works. 
That's what verses 14 through 17 tell us. Faith produces works. James is writing to an audience of people of faith. And what he is telling them is that your faith should result in good things that you do. How do you know that the wind is blowing? Do you get to witness individual air molecules moving from sections of high pressure into sections of lower pressure? If you do, I'd like to talk to you. No. We know that the wind is blowing because we see a flag flapping, a windsock vertical. We see tree branches swaying. We might feel it against our skin. There is evidence that the wind is blowing, and we see the evidence. We do not actually see the action itself taking place. There's lots of things like that if you think through it. Um, Medical tests are filled with evidence of something happening in the body. It's not that you see the thing happening. All sorts of medical examples of that. We are actually live in a world where we're used to seeing evidence of something. It's no different with faith. Faith produces evidence. Faith produces works. So that's what 14 through 17 is about. Verse 18, from what I have read, is one of, if not the most challenging verses in the Bible in order to understand the grammar of the verse. The grammar has at least four different ways that this could be translated. All of them are very complicated. What it comes down to is that works are the evidence of faith. That's what's being said there in verse 18. Someone says, do you have faith? And James responds, yes, implicitly. You can see it in my works. That's what's going on there. Do you have faith? And James says, yes, you can see the evidence of my faith. Faith produces evidence. Faith is more than just a belief or a knowledge. Faith requires stepping out and starting something, doing something. It produces that. It's the natural result of that. If somebody told you the wind was blowing and the flag was completely down, would you believe them? No. If somebody says, I have faith, and they refuse to do anything good, we question Do you have faith? What's the evidence of your faith? It is not that works save us. Nothing in this passage says that. It is that faith produces evidence. So then verses 20 through 26 includes two examples and a pun. And I know some of you love puns, so I wanted to show you the pun. Now, it's hard to capture the pun in English. But look, look here where it says, faith without works is useless. Or faith without deeds is useless there in verse 20. That's actually a fun little pun in Greek. Okay? The word, the word for works is ergon. The word for useless 
is arge, which you might think that doesn't sound familiar at all. Well, in Greek it does. And so there's a, a pun here that James is making. He's saying in some sense, faith without works is workless. It just doesn't work. Faith without works doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. It's not something that is reasonable. And then two examples. Abraham. James says, Abraham was considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. People take that verse out of context and say, see, Abraham, it was works that saved him. No, look at the verse that follows. And scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So work with me for just a second as I build an argument. Okay? When did Abraham believe God, and it was credited to him as righteousness? Anyone know off the top of your head? Genesis 15, 6. Okay? In Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believes God and it's credited to him as righteousness. When does Abraham perform the work of offering Isaac or being willing to offer Isaac? Abraham's faith naturally led, seven chapters later, to Abraham's actions. Abraham believed God. There's another example given here. Rahab. Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them in a different direction? Even Rahab had works after she was faithful. So I want you to catch the the poetic device that's being used here. Let's talk about Abraham. Abraham was a Jew. Sort of by definition, right? He was a man. He was quite wealthy. He was blessed by God in the line of blessing, in the line of favor. Rahab, a Canaanite kind of cursed for being driven out of the land for destruction, identified for destruction. A woman, probably not very wealthy. Um, That's not the job of choice for somebody coming out of wealth. Clearly outside the line of promise. Like it, It doesn't get much worse than that in terms of being part of the Jews. She did not only not of Abraham's blood, but her job really disqualifies her from most things. No matter who you are, faith leads to works, to doing good. You may be somebody who does good. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, you will continue to do good. You may be somebody who's stuck in sin. Faith changes us leads us to take action, leads us to good works. But it's faith that leads us to good works. Faith should lead us. Our action step, no matter who you are, God calls you to faith and the evidence that faith produces. God is calling us to step out in faith. 
But it's more than just taking that initial step of faith that God's calling us to. That initial step of faith is salvation. But God's calling us to more than just merely trusting him. He's calling us to take action on that trust. Faith will produce evidence. Our scripture of the month is Joshua 1.7. Joshua 1.7. Say it with me. Joshua 1.7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that ye may be successful wherever you go. Joshua 1.7. We're called to be strong, to be courageous, to take that step of faith, and act on it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Rahab's faith. I thank you for Abraham's faith. Faith that did not simply say, I believe, but faith that then took steps of action. And so I pray that as we show faith, as we proclaim faith, that we would back up that faith with action. We know that the works don't save us. Salvation comes only through the death of Jesus and his resurrection that washes away our sin. But yet, as James says, faith without works is workless. It simply doesn't. We need a faith that leads us to take action. And so I pray that our church would be a church of individuals that step out and take action based on our faith, that trust you to go out to work for you, knowing that you reward, knowing that it's what you have called us to. Give us the kind of faith that leads us to take action. In Jesus' name, amen.